0: Good morning. How is everybody doing? That was enthusiastic, that was. (laughs) How is everyone doing? Good, great. Um, Can I just add my welcome to you? Um, My name is Callum, part of the leadership team here at Gateway, and it is warm, isn't it? Oh my goodness, like sweltering. I was going to wear shorts, but I'm not quite sure what the preaching etiquette is, so, and I'm not sure I want my legs, my pasty white legs on Gateway's Facebook page. But, um, <laughs> um, so this morning, I have the privilege of um, kicking off our new preaching series, which we're calling The Great Exchange. Um, the idea behind this series, really, is that the world is selling us um, a way of living that looks appealing to us, but ultimately leads us into a life of hurry. And with hurry comes a whole new set of companions. Anxiety, distraction, consumerism, isolation, and so on. And we live so hurried with our minds and our calendars and our homes so full that we isolate ourselves from others. We live in a near constant state of anxiety. Um, always trying to fill our time, always looking for ways to to then find ourselves less hurried, to we look at our phones, checking the time all of the time, unable to stop, constantly searching for and purchasing the thing we the thing we think is going to make our lives a little easier, and it never works. However, as we say yes to following Jesus and as we learn to live His way of life, He offers us an exchange. He gives us peace for anxiety. He gives us community for isolation. He gives us presence for distraction, contentment for consumerism. Ultimately he gives us life in exchange for death. So over this series the idea really is that we're going to show, we're going to try and show how the way of the world is actually harmful for our souls so that we can show that the way of Jesus is true and beautiful and life-giving, that it is good news for us. So this morning I'm looking at the problem of hurry, so if you can turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12, it will come up on the screen as well, hopefully. My buzzer's not working, never mind. So Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard Jesus and the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees debating. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength the second is this love your neighbor as yourself there is no commandment greater than these amen so i just want to start really by asking a few simple questions to help us find out how hurried we actually are so let's be honest with ourselves for a few moments do you regularly work kind of 30 minutes or more um, longer than your contracted hours? Do your friends and family ever complain about not getting enough time with you? Do you ever feel tired during the day or your neck and your shoulders aching? Do you ever drive over the speed limit, which I'm sure none of us ever do? Um, do you pray with your children, with your spouse regularly? Do you have enough time to pray? Do you eat together as a family or as a household? Do you ever move from one queue at the till to another because the other one looks a bit shorter or like it's moving a bit faster? Do you count the cars in front of you and get in the lane that's moving the quickest? Do you get annoyed when the cars next to you pull off quicker than the ones in front? Do you multitask so much that you start to forget some of the tasks? Do you hate waiting? Are you constantly checking the time, feeling like there's not enough time in the day? If you answered yes to any or all of those questions, you might be suffering from something psychologists are increasingly talking about as a major problem in our day, something that they call hurry sickness. As well it's not something that's diagnosed by the NHS, at least not yet, Um, there are a few definitions going around. So the first... A behaviour pattern characterised by continual rushing and anxiousness. Another, a malaise in which a person feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and to get flustered when encountering any kind of delay. One more. Which is, if it will come up, no. A continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things, or participate in more and more events in less and less time. I'm sure some of those will sound as familiar to you (laughs) as they do to me. Um, The problem is that our culture has been advertising hurry as a way of life to us for years. It's now deeply ingrained within us. Efficiency is king. We need what we want right now, and we don't really want to have to wait for it. And that's also demonstrated by some of our language. If you look at the definition of the word slow on the Collins Dictionary online, and you'll find such descriptions as lazy, not readily responsive, intellectually unreceptive, dull uninteresting, unwilling, behind the times, unproductive, slack, obtuse, boring, sluggish, and I could go on. Slow is bad in our culture. And over the last 50 or so years... Our hurry has been fueled by the technology that was promised to help fix it. Alan Fadling uh, writes in his book, An Unhurried Life, that technology has accelerated our pace of life, making our days fuller and giving us much less downtime. We now have the ability to fit more and more tasks into a given amount of time. We have technology to fill every minute with more and more work and activity. And we fail to realise how weary and distracted this filled-to-the-brim life makes us. We can get more things done than ever before, but few people would argue that this has made life more meaningful. And he goes on to say, I don't want to imply hurry is only a modern issue, but we do now have technology that enables us to hurry at greater and greater speeds. We can drive 500 miles or fly 5,000 miles in the same amount of time that somebody 100 years ago would have just travelled to 20. No wonder hurry is a big issue for us. Think about how many times you've answered the question, how are you, with a response of busy <laughs> or tired, right? I've even done it this morning to Stuart in the kitchen. Um, you might have done it this morning as well. Um, although we say it with a sigh, you know, I think actually many of us Probably feel like we'd be judged if we were to say something like, actually, life's pretty slow right now. You know, these days, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. We think others will admire our busy lives because it presents some level of importance in our culture. And our culture gets so obsessed with things like work-life balance, right? We spend so much time searching for ways to give sufficient time to all of our roles and responsibilities and desires. To be a good child, parent, sibling, spouse. To be a good friend and colleague and employee, volunteer, all while keeping up with the finale of Ted Lasso or... Uh, walking the dog or trying to catch up with Doug Hogg on the fantasy football league or washing the dishes, right let alone reading our Bibles or coming here on a Sunday or spending time with Jesus on a regular basis. Each of these things, these responsibilities, these desires, these roles, these duties, they make demands on our limited time. So we're constantly having to choose what we can and can't do, pursuing some things and leaving other things Behind. And of course, the reality is that some of us have less choice in this than others. We need to work those hours just to stay financially afloat. We need to spend that time caring for someone in our family who's ill, or long term condition, or who's got additional needs. But whether you have more or less choice, the solution that our world offers to us is pretty much the same. It's efficiency. Double up. Listen to a podcast while you walk the dog. Watch Love Island while you wash the dishes. I don't watch Love Island, by the way, just to be, <laughs> just to be abundantly clear. Mow the lawn with your audio Bible on. Right? Work a full-time job while you study for a degree. We think we can do more than we can. And we say to ourselves, after this busy week, life will calm down a little bit. And it actually never does. And on top of all of this is the pressure that these responsibilities, these roles, these duties um, impose on us for other people's time. We have to consider, do I catch up with that friend I've not seen for a while? Do I drive my teenager to Authentic? Do I go and get my elderly parents grocery shopping? We need more time. And sometimes we start to notice that, book a holiday in but then maybe we fill it up so that it's just as busy as normal life. Or we try and introduce something like a Sabbath practice, like we did at the start of this, talked about at the start of this year, but it just becomes a way to recuperate for one day a week so that we can run at full speed the other six. Sometimes our bodies make us notice, don't they? We have a heart attack or a breakdown. We get signed off of work. Our culture tells us that there are two speeds in life, fast or dead. We can try to slow down, but we still constantly feel the pull of our culture to speed up again. We've bought into the way of life that the world has offered us, and we've bought into its solutions. But if we want to live differently, we have to imagine a cure that isn't being sold to us by the culture. So let's just take a look at those few verses from Mark again and see what on earth this has to do with our problem. So let me just read them again. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The objective, I want to suggest, of our life here on earth is that we are to become people of love. Those who love God with our whole selves, mental, physical, emotional, soul, mind, heart, strength, to give to God all that we are, and in doing so, to love those around us as ourselves. Love God, love others. How often does that describe how you live? Certainly doesn't describe it that often for me, if I'm being very, very honest. And this is the problem, isn't it? A life of hurry stops us from loving God and from loving others well. Let's just take a look at a few examples. Many of you uh, will know the story of Abraham and Sarah. If you don't, um, Abraham and Sarah, God tells them, Abraham and Sarai at the time, God tells them that they are going to have a son in their very old age, and that through this child, Abraham will become a father of many nations. But God tells them that they're going to have to wait for it. You know, Abraham and Sarah, they're already living with the family pressures and the cultural expectations of their time. They're old, so they're starting to worry that Sarah's body is running out of time. They're in a hurry to have a child. And now they have the added weight of waiting on God's promises. So they come up with a solution, one that's offered to them by the culture of their day is effective. Abraham will have sex with Hagar, Sarah's slave. And Hagar's child will count as Sarah's. It's culturally acceptable at the time. Solves the problem of whatever is going on in their bodies. And it brings a child into the world so that God's promise can finally happen. But what actually happens is not a picture of loving God or loving others well. Abraham agrees to the adultery. Takes Hagar as a second wife and he sleeps with her. And I think it's fairly safe to assume that Hagar didn't have much choice in the matter, so it's probably more accurate to call it rape. Ishmael's born, but Sarah struggles to accept him or Hagar anymore, and she beats them to the point where they have to flee into the wilderness, into the desert. And eventually, they're banished from the family home. It's not a picture of loving your neighbour as yourself. Their hurry to have a child caused them to love Hagar, to love Ishmael, to love God poorly. Well, that's a bit of an extreme example. So let's take a look at another one: the parable of the Good Samaritan. A man is travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he's attacked by robbers who strip him of his clothes, beat him and leave him there naked to die. A priest and a Levite, maybe returning from temple service, maybe on their way to their next religious duty, are also on the road. They've got somewhere to be, have a full schedule. Maybe they're worried about being ceremonially unclean because they won't be able to fulfill their duties. They won't be able to get everything that they need to get done. And they both walk straight by the man. He's an inconvenience, an interruption. Hurries kept them from stopping when God has put a bleeding, hurting, desperate person in their path. Hurries kept them from loving others as themselves. One more. Mary and Martha, just after the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. uh, Jesus and his disciples, they come to a village... And they're invited into the home of Martha and her sister, Mary. And Jesus comes in, he sits, and he begins to teach his disciples. And Mary sits at his feet, listening, soaking it in, simply enjoying being with Jesus and learning from him. Martha, however, is hurrying around, trying to get all the food ready, trying to clear up after everybody else, make sure everybody's hosted well. And after a while, she speaks to Jesus and she asks him why he doesn't care that Mary's left her to do everything herself. He says, Can you tell Mary to come and help me? And Jesus says to Martha, Mary's chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Martha's confused doing things for Jesus with being with him. Hurry's kept her from loving Jesus with her whole self. I don't know if any of you, did any of you listen to that podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, a few years ago? Did anybody listen to that? Not many people. Um, So it's a podcast all about um, Mars Hill Church in Seattle and a celebrity pastor called Mark Driscoll and caused a whole lot of hurt. And it was just a podcast exploring the whys and the whats and all of that done by Christianity Today. Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill, they're in a hurry. They are pursuing more and more. They are looking to achieve something, to achieve fame. I mean, if you put it nicely, maybe to achieve more people to Christ. But they're in a hurry. And there's a clip in this podcast from a conference that Mark Driscoll spoke at, um, a pastor's conference, just the day after he'd fired two of his church elders. Um, And he says there's a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus, at which point he laughs. And By God's grace, there'll be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options, but the bus isn't going to stop. Hurry, accelerate, push forwards at all costs. That's pretty scary from a church leader, I think. But what's Scary to me too, I think, is that it's quite often true of us. Many of us have dead or wounded bodies behind our lives of hurry. Maybe it's friends that we've hurt or simply dropped along the way. Maybe it's children that we were never really present for. Maybe it's a husband or a wife, an ex-husband, ex-wife. Maybe it's our own love for God, our own discipleship, our own faith. Our lives of hurry are leaving dead bodies in our wake, our own and other people's. But we, thankfully, do have another option. The choice isn't get on or get run over. It's not the fast or dead that our culture offers us. We can get off the bus, and by God's grace, there will be no more dead bodies by the time we're done. How? Well, as I suggested right at the beginning... A slower pace, right? Slowing down is going to be part of any solution. John Mark Comer, in his book Live No Lies, he talks about how fasting is one of the best spiritual practices to help people struggling with lust, with addiction to pornography, masturbation. Because as you stop eating food, you are training your body to stop getting what it wants. And when you do that with something that's essential to life, like food, It makes it much easier to do it with something that's not essential to life, that's actually harmful for your soul. And it's similar with slowing down. If we introduce some simple practices, although none of them are mentioned to us by Jesus, like fasting is, we can train our minds and our bodies to go slower in the simple things so that we can be better equipped to go slow in the important moments. Things like walking somewhere rather than driving, going to bed an hour earlier, actually driving at the speed limit, purposefully joining the longest queue, pausing for two minutes throughout your day, not having some time without your phone on the weekend. Right, these are all good, helpful practices, but actually slowing down isn't really sufficient in and of itself to solve the problem. I've been reading, uh, reading a book recently, And the authors uh, suggest that the opposite of hurry isn't slowing or the dead that our culture offers us. It's what they call resonance. And they describe resonance like this. An experience of fullness, of being in sync, of being so present to someone or something else that we feel like we've discovered ourselves again. Resonance is about connecting with the world, with the people in our lives, and finding a meaning that's greater than what we can see and explain. It's about connecting with God, about loving him and loving others well, whether we're moving fast or slow. And I quite like that idea a lot. Right, Some of us here are suffering from that hurry sickness, but there are actually things we can do to slow down and better walk in step with the Spirit and love others and God well. Others of us us here, we're already walking at a slow pace of life, and maybe you're wondering, what on earth has all this got to to do with me? Others of us here, though, feel utterly trapped in the pace and the hurry of life. Escaping feels impossible. Slowing down doesn't feel like an option. You wouldn't be able to afford to live. Those you're caring for would suffer. The idea behind resonance is that we can resonate with something, whether we're moving fast or slow. So the other thing that the word resonance might bring to mind is that of music. If you have a taut guitar string and you play it, it will make a sound, right? We've all kind of twanged an elastic band or something like that, haven't we? Um, But if you position the wooden body of a guitar under that same string a guitar that's been shaped and formed in such a way to resonate with that string, then all of a sudden, what was once dull and quiet and uninspiring can become energetic and rich and full. Suddenly, the sound can fill a room. And this idea of resonance isn't primarily about slowing down at all, really. It's about being ready, whether we're moving fast or slow. It's about positioning ourselves and allowing the Spirit to form us and to shape us so that when something happens, when that string is played, we can resonate, we can amplify, find fullness and richness and meaning in those moments. And we can love God and love others well. So let's just take another look back at the parable of the Good Samaritan. So after the priest and the Levite walk past comes the Samaritan. He too had somewhere to go. He's not just wandering around on a notoriously dangerous road for no reason. He's travelling somewhere. He's busy. Maybe he'd have even described himself as being in a hurry. But he was positioned and shaped in such a way that he was able to resonate when the string was played, when he encountered the wounded man. He saw him, while the priest and the Levite merely noticed. He took pity on him. He allowed his heart to be affected By what he saw, he went to the wounded man while the priest and the Levite crossed the other side of the road. Love doesn't just walk by, it stops. Hurry simply glances, but love gazes and stays and acts. And he treats the man's wounds carefully with oil and with wine. It wasn't a quick, come on, you'll be okay, I've got somewhere to be, kind of pat on the back. He carried the man to an inn. And he stayed overnight with him. Right? It must have cost him something. Who was expecting him to be somewhere that evening that he then didn't turn up for? He couldn't just send a text and say, I'll be a bit late. What went undone? Because he loved the wounded man. He gave two days wages to pay for the man to recover in comfort. And he promised that he'd return and find out how he was recovering. He loved him enough to let it cost him. And he loved him enough to care past the moment. His resonance that helps us to love God well and love others doesn't really matter whether we're going fast or slow. It's about allowing ourselves to be positioned, to be shaped, to be formed, to be ready so that we can love well in the moment when it comes. Back in um, January, February, when we were doing Emotionally Healthy, um, I was involved in the the course that we were running here. Um, I was running a little late one evening, but I had to go to Tesco's and pick something up on the way. I was supposed to be setting up the PowerPoint and the video for Graham and Shirley here as well. So I was in a hurry, in a rush, already running late. Drove to Tesco's, um, and there was a homeless guy sat outside the front of Tesco's. Um because I was in a rush, I just walked straight past him, feeling guilty. But I got what I needed from the shop and walked out. Um and on my way out he caught my eye and just asked if I had any money that I could spare. And feeling guilty, I thought to myself, oh I've gotta have a conversation with this guy. Um and so I stopped and I asked him his name, I asked him how long he'd been sleeping rough asked him what had happened that meant he had ended up there, found out a little bit about his mum had died the year before and he just a few other things had happened and he'd lost everything. Um, but I explained I just had my phone with me, I didn't have my card or wallet, just Apple Pay, um, and so I didn't have any cash. Um, and after a few minutes of talking, he asked if I lived nearby, to which I said, actually, yeah, only just two minutes up the road. And he said to me, I know it's cheeky, but is there any possibility you might be able to pop home and get some cash? Um, And I said, "Ah, I'm sorry, mate, I'm running late for a meeting. I've got to go. Um, Said goodbye, got in my car, drove off to church. And as I pulled up to the parking spaces just out there, I just felt so convicted by the Holy Spirit. Like God was saying to me, you're the priest, you're the Levite. You know, I could have been putting all kinds of slowing down practices into my life, joining the longest queue, walking rather than driving, but I was in a hurry in that moment, and because I wasn't positioned well, because I hadn't allowed the Spirit to shape me and form me well enough in that moment, it wouldn't have made any difference. I wouldn't have resonated. And I I wasn't ready. And I didn't resonate. And I drove back home and got my card and um, got some money out and found the guy. And I was just able to apologize to him. Um, And I just said to him, I am a Christian, I work for a church, Um, follower of Jesus. Jesus calls me to love people and not to go to meetings. And I'm sorry I didn't do that well. Um, And Thankfully, the guy was very gracious and very forgiving. Um, And, you know, I saw—I hadn't seen him four or five months. I've not seen him since then. And just this week, actually, just outside of Tesco's again, he was there. Um, It's funny how God brings these these things back to mind that we'd forgotten just in time to preach on this. Um, But I was just able to have another conversation with him. You know, the point at all is not that I'm the hero. The point is that I'm the priest and the Levite and that we all too often are the priests and the Levites, even though we like to think of ourselves as the Samaritans. I was in a hurry, and I did not resonate. I hadn't allowed the Spirit to position me and to shape me, to form me, so that I could respond well when God played that string, when that man was in front of me. We need to learn to have resonance, not just the slowdown. So how do we allow ourselves to be positioned and shaped so that we're ready for those moments? Well, honestly, I have no other <laughs> I have no other uh, answer than taking every opportunity to allow ourselves to resonate with God. God is always singing over us. He is always playing those strings. He is always with us by His Spirit. I'm not sure if you know that. Him um, come the Fount of every blessing. It's my favorite hymn. Um, The first verse goes like this. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, the mount of God's unchanging love. And my only answer simply is that we just need to ask God to tune our hearts to tune our hearts so that we can resonate with him, so that we can sing his grace, so that we can learn that song sung by flaming tongues from above. And as we resonate with God, we amplify his love to us, to those around us. And it's in the overflow of his incredible, redeeming, unchanging love to us that we can better love our neighbour as ourselves. So I just simply want to give us an opportunity to do that right now. John, I don't know if you're wherever you are. I don't know if you're happy just to come and uh, play a bit of keys for a minute. Um, So we're just going to share communion. Um, And, you know, there's four tables around the room, bread and grape juice on. And I know when we normally introduce communion, we say something along the lines of, this is a family meal, share it together, go speak to somebody new. All of that is utterly true. But I just want to use this morning just to invite us to take a moment to share, to have communion on our own and just to reflect on God's love towards us, to let our hearts resonate with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, a life, a love that we can never be separated from. You know, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And as we reflect on this love shown to us through Christ Jesus on the cross, through his body and his blood given for us, let's just simply ask God to tune our hearts. To tune our hearts, to shape us and form us by his spirit, to position us so that we may better love him and love others around us. Is that okay? Can I invite, can I invite you to stand? I'm just going to pray, and then I just please go and find one of those tables and grab some bread and some grape juice. And let's just take a moment as we finish. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your love, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that you came and you gave yourself for us. You gave yourself for us. You hung on a cross. Us who were so far away from you, who were enemies, who were dead in our sins. And yet you came in love and you hung on a wooden tree. that we might be called children of God. And now we cannot be separated from you. We cannot be taken away from your love. Nothing on earth, nothing above or below can separate us from your love. So Father, we just choose in this moment to raise our eyes again, to reflect on your love to allow our hearts just to resonate with you, singing over us, rejoicing over us. God, and as we do so, I just pray, God, would you come and shape our hearts? Lord, we, are, God, we just repent where we have been, those priests and Levites. God, I repent. God, I say I'm sorry that I don't live up. But Father, I thank you that your grace and your mercy carry me nonetheless. So come and tune our hearts again. Come and tune my heart. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us and mold us and shape us and position us so that whether we're going fast or slow, whether we're in a hurry or not, we can resonate when you put those people in front of us, when you play those strings. We can amplify your love. Amen.